Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 244. The best way to predict the future is to invent it. Without deviation from the norm, progress is not possible. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I am so excited to introduce a very special guest, Paul McGee. Paul, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I have my harness on, my helmet on, ready to go, Mark. (laughs) Awesome. I love it when my guests show up ready to go. Paul McGee is the founder of 95customs.com. It's a place fueled by motor culture. Paul's an industrial designer with an irrational love of cars and bikes. Sounds like we share the same disease. He's led design teams for large corporations, and he's been awarded 75 design and utility patents. He's a member of the Industrial Designer Society of America, the IDSA, the Design Management Institute, the DMI, and the Sports Car Club of America. He served on the board of directors for the IDSA and actively serves in board advisory roles for the SCCA and the Cleveland Institute of Art. Paul campaigns an F-modified formula car in the SCCA solo program, and he's earned 12 national tour and pro solo victories. Very cool. Paul, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share a little bit more about your career, your business, your interest, and of course, your passion for automobiles? I'd love to, Mark. So I think it's probably true for a lot of your your listeners. It's cars and, and things that go fast or, or have always been exciting for me ever since, as, frankly, as long as I can remember. Even at a very young age, you know, I was able to identify cars by their makes and, and types. Even when I uh, was at a high school that was very small and people didn't know what design was, I knew I wanted to ultimately design cars. So always something I've been interested in and always wanted to be around them in whatever way I possibly could. Well, your career in industrial design has gotten you involved with cars in many ways. Before we get into some of the questions, can you tell me a little bit about how that has wrapped into this website, because that's how I found you originally. And it's a beautiful website. I've spent a lot of time there cruising around. But can you share with our our listeners a little bit of how some of that came together? Well, uh, absolutely. The site came out as 
an offshoot of wanting to find a, a vehicle, euphemistically speaking, to, to get out more of my creativity and, and the creativity of the people that work with me. Mm-hmm. I'm very fortunate to have worked for some very large uh, companies and, and done some really great things with them. Uh, but it, there are times that uh, when you're developing products for a certain application or for a certain type of a need, it's a different kind of creative process than if you get to build something more just for the passion or for the art form of it. Mm-hmm. So I think what we what we did was launch the site as a way to fulfill our, our love of all things automotive, along with our desire to be creative in a le- much less constrained environment. Oh, it's great. Well, I really love it. And we'll talk a little bit more about that and some of the other things you do. But I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote. And it's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? I know you love to drive and get out on the track. So, Paul, take the wheel. (laughs) Okay, thanks, Mark. There's a couple things that I think uh, they're probably more design-centric, but uh, there's a couple quotes that I guess come to mind when you ask that. The one I think is most prominent is the quote I hold most dear is, is the best way to predict the future is to invent it. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and uh, I think that one we also partner often with the idea that without deviation from the norm, progress is not possible. I love those. How have you incorporated those into your business and your life and your passion for automobiles? Well, I think the short version is that it just felt like it was really important to find a way to turn what I and people that I've worked with feel passionate about and, and to try to turn it into more of a, a life, a lifestyle, a way to you know possibly pay some bills in the process if possible, right? Sure. But the intent was to, uh, instead of just treating it like something that you work to do on occasion, to treat it as something that's a little bit more front and center. Mm-hmm. And it really falls into that idea of inventing our own future, if you will. Sure. Taking it to the horns. Yeah. I had a guest on the show that one of his favorite quotes was from Arnold Schwarzenegger, and it had to do with, in order to get ahead in life and to be successful, you've got to break some rules. He did uh, add to that, but don't break the law. But I think that's a lot of what you're talking about is, and especially in design, to come up with things that are unique and different and mean something is you've got to break some of the rules, right? I think so. I think sometimes that's necessary. I think realistically, maybe even more principled to the idea of breaking some rules, which which is needed at times. I think it's just more important to be true to yourself and to what it is you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to be authentic about what matters to you and, and honor it, if that makes sense. Oh, sure. Absolutely. And I think if you look at industrial design, automotive design, for those of us who are enthusiasts, the car makers and the designers that broke the rules definitely create something that for us enthusiasts means something and means something more. I just had Sean Tucker on the show. His great-grandfather was Preston Tucker of the Tucker Automobile Company. And talk about a guy who broke the rules. That's actually, within the automotive realm, I think it's it's easy to appreciate how much he was willing to do it the way he felt it needed to be done and mm-hmm. not the way it had been done by everybody else. And and that really is, I think, a very big idea behind what as designers we often want to do. Sure. Yeah, that's great. Would you tell us a story that instigated your passion for cars? Was there a pivotal moment, as you can recall in your life, when you really knew you were a car guy? Yeah, actually, uh, as, as you say that, I think there's, if I can share maybe uh, a couple. Absolutely. Uh, okay. So, 
the one that comes to mind, and, and I wish I could even tell you my age, if I had to guess, it probably had to be somewhere between five and six years old. Wow, okay. Uh, one of the uh, one of my father's good friends had a, I believe it was at the time, probably a brand new uh, Datsun 240Z. Ah, yeah. I remember it had the black interior and it was a honestly probably a pretty ugly brown if I, my memory serves correctly. But I remember just being completely fascinated by the car at a visual level and the way it sounded and just something about it, even at that young age, spoke to me. But I guess I probably lacked the the faculties to fully understand it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as time went on, it became more and more of a fascination uh, for me. And uh, later on, probably more into my high school years, I had an uncle who was a pretty, you know, considering we came from a pretty middle of the road family financially, I had an uncle who invested probably a lot more of his money than was smart in, in a lot of Mustangs, oh, okay. a variety of different Mustangs. And the crown jewel of his, his toys was a 1967 Shelby GT500. Ah, cool. And as a kid, I spent a summer basically attending a series of car shows with him and being shotgun in a car with a roll cage and a fire extinguisher and harness belts in it and hearing him stomp on it and opening opening up eight barrels of carburetors was <laughs> created a visceral reaction in me as a teenager that I'm not sure I can fully describe. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, it's the Z you mentioned is a special place in my heart. I started a detailing business when I was uh, 14 years old and remember a lady down the street bought a 240Z. It was a uh, Lime green. You talk about some of those 70s. I think the Z came out in 1970. So this must have been in 1972, 73. And she used to let me drive it from her house over to my house and detail it. And it was like, oh, this is so cool. (laughs) That's fun. Yeah, very cool. So Paul, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down or crawl into the hood and get our hands a little dirty and ask you to share a huge challenge or even a great failure that you faced along the way in your career. You're an entrepreneur and entrepreneurs have a real roller coaster ride in life. So everybody has their ups and downs. But the most important part of this has to do with how did you overcome that situation and what did you learn from it? That's a great question. Our site and our business is actually a relatively young one. We've only been online for approximately six months. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a fairly fresh site. We've been getting a ton of visibility and it's been going forward at a, in an alarmingly you know, a faster rate than we anticipated, which is great news. But when we talk about challenges, uh, the sites had some, uh, but I think there have been more situations probably in my uh, design roles that the uh, path has gotten very rocky and there's not been a shortage of times where the future's even been a little cloudy, uh, you know, working for large companies, these kinds of things come and go a lot. Sure. Uh, in those moments, I think it's really easy to be fearful of what the future holds. It's really easy to want to resist change or to lose faith in what it is you're trying to get done. So in those moments, I guess I feel what I try to remember is that it's really in those moments that the biggest opportunities often exist. You know, I think what you've really got to do is just set your target and and drive to it. It's probably kind of a misplaced analogy, but I ride motorcycles uh, as well as, you know, campaign a, an autocross uh, formula car. And, and there's an interesting commonality between the two that I, I find works in, in those kind of challenging moments. In, in both riding a motorcycle as well as uh, trying to follow a racing line is, is what they'll tell you is, you know, 
you'll go where your eyes go. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. And, <laughs> yeah. and I feel like that metaphor applies in a lot of circumstances. And I feel like when you've got challenges, it's very easy to want to shorten your vision or to change your target or to become apprehensive about what you're doing. And in those moments, it's very important to remember that you keep your foot down and you go. I've raced cars, I've ridden motorcycles, and when you go to driving school, they're always yelling in your ear, head up, head up, head up, look down, look down the track, look ahead of where you want to be, not where you're going to be, but where you want to be. And in business, sometimes I think when we're faced with adversity and failure and challenge, sometimes we kind of look down. And we get that's exactly right. We think we should focus on what to fix the problem here instead of looking up and and looking at maybe some opportunity, but the bigger issue that's going on. Is there a situation in particular you could share with us that really pushed you to a limit that you can think of? I think at one point, again, not not within the constraints of of our current business at ninety five Customs, but at one of my former employers, who I'll not mention. That's fine. Sure. uh, we, uh, you know, we, we'd often been placed in a situation where we'd be given a, a significant cut in resources. I mean, dramatic cuts in resources. And, uh, you know, I've had teams of people uh, cut because of financial hardships to companies. I've had budgets cut with, within fractions of their former selves. And, you know, for example, I, I can remember basically being cut completely to the bone and still being asked to produce innovative concepts and ideas for for the company and to be able to figure out how to for lack of a better phrase to make silk from a sow's ear and and be able to come up with yeah something that has value that you can do with whatever the available resources are around you is is i guess the most specific example I can give without getting kind of too specific to names and places. Sure, sure. Well, uh, I think many of us have been in that situation and especially in an entrepreneurial situation where you're trying to run your own business on a shoestring or a bootstrap and you got to figure out how do I get creative with what I have? I don't have a lot of building blocks here. You know, it's like buying the tiniest Lego set and having wanting to build the biggest <laughs> Lego building. And how can I do that? I remember my son when he was little loved the Legos. And uh, one time I went back and he had started cutting out pieces of cardboard to make roofs and things out of it because he said, well, I don't have those pieces, so I'm just going to have to make them out of a shoebox and, you know, a garbage bag. And it's like, there you go. (laughs) That's the way to do it. You know, actually, so I I can think of one example that we're working on actively in the shop right now. Uh About a year ago, we picked up an old, uh, it's kind of a silly car for typically what what our style is, but we picked up an old 67 Pontiac Grand Prix, which is... One of their very large full-sized cars. Oh, yeah. We bought it because the price was just too good to pass up on, and it seemed like something we could work with. And we, we bought it on an online auction, and I don't think fully researched how completely devastated the interior of the car was. Uh. And uh, it's it's one of those cars where its collectible value is is far below what it would take to make it right. And we weren't passionate enough about the car itself to we, – we weren't going to rebuild the interior out of love for the car. <laughs> so uh, I think that's an example where we accepted that as a challenge to say, well, what, what can we do to make this a, you know something that kind of suits our style and basically working with what is truly a completely gutted interior of a car. <laughs> right, right, and having so, to work around that. Exactly. So you know, we figured out how to change the theme of the car and use – you know, whatever kind of seats and uh, other switch gear and, and other things we could do to to 
give it a personality. And, and so the outcome of it was something that wasn't what we originally thought it was going to be, but it actually allowed us to take a different creative direction, and we're pretty happy with it. Very cool. I love that. 67 Pontiac, my parents bought a 67 Le Mans when I was a little kid. I was nine years old at the time, and uh, unfortunately, it became known as the Le Mans, as for lemon, (laughs) because it was a horrible car. Its first year, it spent more time in the shop than on the road, and then finally, they traded it in on a uh, Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser. So that was more cool for my sister and I with those cool skylights in the back. But at any rate, yeah, the Pontiac Le Mans. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, there is there, there is something kind of uh, a, a little misplaced about calling a 4,000-pound, nearly 200-inch-long car a Grand Prix. Yeah, absolutely. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share one of those aha moments in your career. It's a a time when the headlights came on and illuminated your way for a new direction that you had. Could you tell us the steps you took to turn your aha moment into a success? Sure. So I think with our business, I mean, it's we're still kind of perpetually in those aha moments Mm -hmm. uh, because it's it's still kind of in a very relatively new place. And in one of those is as simple as is just going on the journey of of clarifying what it is that we're going to provide mm-hmm. as a site. And, you know, we originally started out with the premise of nothing more than just building custom vehicles, cars and bikes. Mm-hmm. And we realized that we wanted to maintain a higher level of interest than we were able to turn around some of our projects. So we started providing some other things that we were also passionate about, things that were a little bit more novel, uh, things that we wanted to do for ourselves. And we thought, well, we'll just share it with other people. So, uh, you know, we decided we wanted to get into some graphic design and do some T-shirts and some other items. And there were some stories. We've got some friends that are writers for other publications that were willing to, to help with some of that. And so we started doing those things just kind of more to keep some interest Mm-hmm. around the site so we didn't have to build it every time we got a project finished right what we never realized was that those small things were actually probably a bigger part of the business than we'd ever imagined they would be ah okay so now we've we've gotten ourselves to the point where we never thought we'd be so immersed in the telling of stories and in the creating of of different graphic t-shirts but what's interesting is people are really very excited about that. So we're, we're, we're building that portion of the business up. Our aha moment was realizing that the thing we thought was the sideline may be more of the center stage. <laughs> very cool. Neat aha. I'll tell you, I don't have a pet, but that uh, golf livery pet bed you have, I think I'm going to have to go get a dog just so I can buy that. <laughs> it's <laughs> <We've>, so cool. <laughs> we've actually had people send us pictures of their of their pets competing to lay on the pets. Yeah, yeah. It's really cool. I sent it off to a friend this morning who's got a lot of pets. I said, hey, you need a couple of these, buddy. He's, he's a fellow car guy. How about proudest moments? I assume you've had many, but is there a proudest moment you can share with us either in your business career or uh, maybe it's in your uh, racing life that you can share with us? Well, boy, I'm, I'm, I consider myself a pretty lucky guy in that regard. Proudest moment as a designer is, is nearly any time that you can see something that you've, you, you can almost think of, of developing a product or developing a, a custom vehicle or anything almost as a, a gestation process, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're, you're going from a, 
an idea, a kernel of a thought all the way through to hopefully seeing it through to a reality. And the proudest moment is almost always seeing it embodied in its real final form. That's sure. that's such a proud moment, right? Yeah. So yeah. As, as a product designer, it was always great to have developed something. And then as you walk around the streets, you, you literally see your product and, you know, people using it. And that's, that's a proud moment. Yeah. For the, the site and, and for what we've been doing recently, I think, you know, you, you have those tense moments where you don't know if things are going to work, but then when you look at the statistics and you look at when we have stories and, and frankly, when we have people that are responding and interacting with what we're doing and getting joy out of it, that is such a proud moment. Absolutely. Hey, let's have a little bit of fun here. What was your first really special car? And if you could share a memory that you had with that vehicle, and I'll include motorcycle because I know you like bikes too. Maybe it was a bike. Oh boy. All right. <laughs> well, if you're going to make me pick just one, that's, uh, if I might, I might suggest a car and a bike if, if you give me that. Sure. That kind of freedom. Absolutely. So my, my car choice is probably not going to be one that a lot of people would, would ever imagine. But, uh, we came from a pretty modest family growing up and and there was a series of of very what I'd call rough cars and hand-me-down cars uh growing up but the uh the first really special car I had of all things was a completely bare bones stripped to the floorboards 1985 Volkswagen Golf okay and the reason that was a really special car to me was because as somebody who you know was just finishing up design school and was so hand to mouth with money, I guess it actually taught me a ton about how simplicity can be very elegant. Ah, yeah. You know, it was this highly effective, very well-built car. And as a side note, my, my younger brother, who was more of a Honda fan than I was, he had this uh, prelude of about the same vintage and he just thought it was the the best thing ever. And I enjoyed teaching him a a lesson with, with the uh, the much lighter weight uh, Volkswagen. We'd we'd go down to the uh, local drag strip where you could pay a dollar to run your car up and down it. Uh-huh. And uh, he could not, for the life of him, figure out why he couldn't beat this very bare bones Volkswagen Golf with his you know state of the art Honda Prelude. Yeah, very cool. Now, what about a bike? You mentioned there's a bike somewhere in your past here. Well, so it's still actually in my garage right now, and. And it's a Kawasaki H1, uh, what they call the Widowmaker. Uh, Yes. (laughs) So it wasn't my first bike, but uh, it's one that I don't think I'll ever be able to get rid of. And what's funny is I think I like it for probably almost the exact opposite reasons that that the uh, golf always appealed to me, which is that it just almost makes no sense. It just defies logic in, in absolutely every sense of the word. It just appeals to me on such a such a ridiculous level, you know. <laughs> what year did they make that bike? They made the Widowmaker, at least in the H1 form from 1969 through 1975. Okay. It was called that because, as, as I think I've seen somebody else reference it, is the engine writes checks that the chassis is not capable of catching. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an insane-looking bike, and uh, Cafe Racer is not really the right term for it because the engine is just a monster it is it is it's it's one of the few you know i've got a lot of motorcycles i've ridden a lot of motorcycles that are pretty frightening in certain regards but i can tell you that nothing gets my heart moving the way that old (laughs) old kawasaki does yeah the chassis is uh you're right it's it's just there for the ride it's really (laughs) adding much to 
enhance the experience, is it? But gosh, the big motor on that thing with all those pipes coming down around the front and down the back. Yeah, it's a very cool bike indeed. It's a very visceral experience for sure. Yeah. How about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle you've had in your past that you really wish you could have back in your garage? Yeah, there there definitely is. I think the one that I I reminisce about the most is uh, not that many years ago, I got rid of it actually, probably about uh, three, four years ago. I got rid of a car that I had built from scratch, uh, which was a 1999 Mazda Miata, the first year of the second generation car. Okay. And I had bought it with the intent of, you know, the SCCA solo program. And I bought it as a fully bone stock car because Mm -hmm. it was at the time, it was the car to have. And what I found out was even though I thought I was a pretty good driver, uh, when you put me in a spec class and I was earlier on in my years in the program, I was getting my butt kicked by a lot of people. Mm. And the way I thought of it was, well, if I'm going to get my butt kicked, I should, I should at least have more fun doing it. (laughs) So, so I, I built the car into basically a, a monster on the street. It, I put a supercharger on it, and it, kind of an exotic suspension. And uh, it ended up being, I think, to the wheels, it was around 225, 230 horsepower. Oh, wow. 265 at the engine. It was hysterical fun because it, I, I kept it visually very simple. And the supercharger gave you no indication that it existed. Mm-hmm. And so you could pull up next to kids and Mustangs and they'd never be the wiser until you left them for dead. <laughs> oh gosh. Sounds like and, trouble. Yeah, so I got rid of the car. Yeah. And I that. Yeah. I've had a lot of guests on the show that love Miatas, driven Miatas, race Miatas. Uh, yeah. Great fun all around cars for sure. How about current projects? Is there something you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? Oh boy. We've got so many projects going on simultaneously, sometimes it's hard to keep them straight. <laughs> We've kind of got this unintentional garage filled with what I'll call eclectic motored vehicles. Mm-hmm. So right now, we're working on three motorcycles somewhat simultaneously and We've got an RD200, an old Yamaha RD200 parallel twin two-stroke. Oh, wow. Uh, we've got a Suzuki T500, which is, again, a parallel twin two-stroke, and a Ducati 998 that we're doing something very interesting with. Ooh. And uh, on all three of those, and, and also on a secret car project that I'll share a little bit about, we're working with a young guy that is, I say he's young, he's young in age, but he's, he's a very seasoned uh, uh, metal master, mm-hmm. frankly. Uh, and he's been doing a lot of uh, custom work for us. Uh, guy by the name of Pete Cowick at Ohio Metal Shaping. He's been handcrafting in metal for a very long time, and, and he's he's a craftsman. Mm-hmm. So we're really excited that we've been working with him on, on custom parts for all of these bikes, and then also our automotive secret project. Uh, I can't elaborate too much. What I would say is just imagine something that's kind of inspired by the intersection of Carol Shelby and Colin Chapman. Oh, my gosh. Carol, Sh- now that is an intersection. <laughs> yes <laughs> big horsepower uh but i guess there's some relationship there when you think of the cobra lightweight big power colin chapman is all into yeah. lightweight cars i raced a lotus 18 formula junior for many years and uh yeah. the lightweightness of colin's cars and his designs yeah okay i can see it yeah, well, well <laughs> yeah 
Yeah. So it's, 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 you know, it's as if you were to say that you really liked everything that Carroll Shelby did, but you, you just think his cars were maybe a little heavy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. I can't wait to see the culmination of that intersection, as you say, come to fruition. It sounds fantastic. Now, here's a very introspective question for you, Paul. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? That is a great question. Um, <laughs> that's, boy, I think... All right. I, I guess if I, I look at this the way I would try to look at most of our projects and what our kind of mantra is, is, you know, we're not a big believer in Swiss Army knives, right? We mm-hmm. we, we believe that you pick the right tool for the job and uh, we build as, as such. So I guess I would have to say in that regard, I'd, I'd have to consider myself like a Porsche 911. And why is that? And I, I think I'd go with that because my perception of a 911, I don't own one, although I've driven them is uh, I consider them a simple but very effective car for what it does, but it does it without drawing a lot of attention to itself. Mm-hmm. And uh, more importantly, I think it's just it's a little dogged in its determination. I mean, most most of your listeners probably know the the car didn't start off is is a is a great success. They had to work and work and work at it to to make it the success it now is over sure. years and decades. Yeah, I guess one last detail of it that's kind of interesting is, is uh, you know, there's just something a little bit off, a little bit different about a 911, and I guess I can relate to that as well. <laughs> well, great answer. I love that. I'm a big fan of 911s, and uh, I think we get along great. So, um, yeah, that's a, a good combination. I've owned a lot of 911s and driven many of them, and that's a great example or explanation, I should say, of what the 911 is all about. So, Paul, up next is the last lap, but before we put the pedal to the metal, Here's a word from our sponsor. Carpe Viem. Seize the road. It's the motto at CarpeGear.com, where you'll find The Little Red Racing Car, an award-winning book written and illustrated by passionate car guy Dwight Knowlton. It's a spectacular way to introduce children to the love of cars. It's an international award winner, and Yahoo Autos calls it the best kid's book ever. Plus, it's printed in the USA. I may be an adult, but this kid loves The Little Red Racing Car. Dwight is finishing a second book in collaboration with Sir Sterling Moss about the story of his record-breaking win of the 1955 Mille Miglia. Check out Dwight's Carpe Diem brand where you can find his books, shirts, and more that embrace his seize-the-road philosophy. Enjoy Carpe Diem at CarpeGear.com and be sure to sign up for his newsletter while you're there. That's CarpeGear.com, C-A-R-P-E, Gear.com. All right, Paul, we're back and we're entering the last lap. And this is where I fire off a series of questions. And you give our listeners some really quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? Sure thing. Let's do it. All right. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? I think I'll have to go back to what I said earlier. I think uh, make sure your eyes are looking where you want to go. Great advice. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? Um, sure. I I guess I would say it's it's to be passionate and to have the right attitude and the right desire. To me, I feel like those are great assets and, and they will make you successful if you just continue to see it through. Absolutely. Great attributes for entrepreneurs, for sure. Do you have a resource that you think the Cars Yow listeners would really enjoy? Yeah, I've got a, 
a couple that come to mind. Mm -hmm. I, I think uh, for the, for those of your listeners that are into their own projects or that are, do a little bit of their own wrenching, there's there's a couple that come to mind. One of them for people that uh, want to make their car handle or perform better, which is something that we often need help doing and we don't always know what we're getting into on projects, is uh, a place called uh, stranoparts.com. Sam Strano runs that shop. And what I'd say about Sam is, you know, he runs a small, humble business, but he uh, he will never hesitate to share his incredibly heavy knowledge base with anybody. And he knows how to make cars go quick. One other one as well is uh, the one I mentioned earlier, which is uh, Pete Cowick at Ohio Metal Shaping. He runs a small uh, business, but is, like I say, he's, he's truly an artist in metal. Awesome. He can help people uh, with whatever it is that they're imagining. And how about a book? Is there a book that you think the Cars Out listeners would really enjoy reading? Well, sure. Uh, as a designer, there's one that I guess I always enjoy looking at, and that's uh, Cosmic Motors by Daniel Simon. Mm, yes. <laughs> if, you're, if your readers haven't uh, familiarized themselves with that, I strongly encourage it. For straight-up reading, I think uh, Guts by Bob Lutz is always one I enjoy because yes. I think you can just feel his passion come out of his writing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Guts has been recommended before on the show, but the previous book is not. So that's a new one for our reading list. So I think that's great. Thanks for sharing that. Absolutely. Listeners, you can find all these resources at com slash Paul McGee. And Paul's last name is M-A-G-E-E. All right, Paul, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, and I'll include collector bike, but you have to pick <laughs> one or the other. But don't worry about the cost because today I'm going to write the check. What would that vehicle be and why? Boy, I, uh, that's a tough one. Yeah, um, I'm sorry. Just one. <laughs> <laughs> I can only afford one. You know, I, I, yeah. your guest number 244, I, boy, I bought a lot of cars for people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's no shortage of bikes, but but I have to say that I'm, I'm going to go back to my, you know, early, early aspirational days and, and uh testarosas are always a personal favorite but honestly over time i think that the uh the early ferrari 375 mms are probably one of my all-time favorites oh yes now is there the 375 mm is there a particular one that you have in mind I'd have to go with the the ones that always jump out to me are in the 1952-1953, not the Scaglietti versions, but the Spider, yeah. Low Slung. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what is it about that car that tugs on your heart? Well, it's it's classic proportions, right? It's the kind of proportions that everybody assigns to Jaguar, and I think that there is some of that. But at the end of the day, I mean, you know, it's, it's with the Italian flair, it's – elegant simplicity, right? I think the Testarossa is beautiful, but there's a simplicity with the 375 mm that that goes even more elemental and with any Ferrari, especially in that vintage. I mean, it's it's a feast for all the senses, right? I right. mean, it's it's right. visually beautiful. It sounds like nothing else. It's just it's an attack on your senses and that that's a wonderful place to be. So you're talking then if not the Scaglietti, then the Berlinetta design body? Berlinetta design. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yes. I see why. <laughs> they are just, oh, they're so beautiful. Yeah. And the, you're right, the simplicity. They, to me, they're like a Shelby Cobra that's just, I don't know how to say this because I don't want to diminish the Shelby Cobra, of course, but stylized. Yeah. Uh, you know, right. yeah. Oh, gosh. Beautiful car. Awesome choice. I love it. 
Paul, you've taken me on a great ride today, and <laughs> I've really enjoyed your stories, and I want to thank you for sharing your journey with me and the listeners. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off down the racetrack in that Ferrari 375 Berlinetta? Yeah, sure, Mark. I guess what I'd always try to tell people is be unapologetically authentic. You should never be angry at somebody for, for telling you the truth, and, and they shouldn't be angry at you for telling them the truth. You, you owe it to yourself and you owe it to the people around you to be authentic to who you are and what it is that you're meant to do. Great advice. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and your business? Well, the best way to to learn about us is to go to the site uh, primarily. We're at 95customs.com, 95customs.com. And uh, we also have a very active crowd on our Facebook page, which is you know facebook.com slash 95customs. Awesome. Well, listeners, again, you can find links to everything Paul shared with us at carsyad.com. Just put Paul in the search box. His show notes page will pop up with links to everything. I encourage you to Check out his Facebook page and go to his website. You're going to have a wonderful delight to your visual senses. I can promise you that. And you'll be there for a long time enjoying all the great things they've got posted there. Paul, thanks again for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and with the listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Been a pleasure, Mark. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.